Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. Welcome to Observations. Observations is the show that jams it all up with comic books, cartoons, pop cultures, toys, record albums, everything that um, involves the storytelling of the mythological comic book superheroes of my youth, of your youth, of of everybody's existence now, because that's basically what our, our lives have has turned into is the con the the, the consumption, the consuming of these larger-than-life superheroes that I was pulling off spinner racks. Yes, spinner racks, those beautiful metal racks that had that had 10, sh- 10 slots on each side, four sides all total, held 40 comic books. You spun it around, you grabbed the comics, you loved the comics, you watched the comics become toys. Nowadays, movies, streaming, cartoons, they're everywhere. There's no stopping it. I love it. it it's... it's, it's, it's it, it's the existence I would have imagined for myself. And, and here we are. Today's episode, we are jumping right into um, a, a topic that I can never get enough of. It's, 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 it's a multiple jamming up of a couple different co- topics. One is, is the X-Men, okay? The X-Men, which were the number one best-selling comic book for 20 straight years. 20 straight years. The X-Men, year in, year out, became... The most dependable, dynamic, popular, best-selling line of comic books. Ironically, it started out small. It stayed small for the very the longest time. For me, when the when the X-Men were at its very best was when it stood alone. Now, you can't, you know, have something that successful and not eventually at least attempt to try and, you know, spin it off and and and, and expand it. And they did. And and more power to them. They waited as long as they could. And when they did, they did it with really great talent. And, and and if they hadn't, I wouldn't have gotten my, you know, up at bat in the X-Men universe, which turned out very well for me in regards to the New Mutants, in regards to X-Force and Cable and Deadpool and all that stuff. But I'm not here to talk about any of that today. The time for that is coming, okay? Uh, Newsflash, the 25th, the, the, the 25th of June, the 25th of June, June 25th is the 30th anniversary of X-Force. So we will be discussing that soon, soon enough. But today, the reason I'm bringing you this X-Men is because you need to know the secret, secret history of the X-Men, okay? Um, I have covered on this podcast before. It is my, by far, my favorite comic book kind of um, accident. The X-Men, the original X-Men, as we've discussed, the arm casters, the temple touchers that were, let's, let's give them a proper roll call. Scott Summers, Cyclops, Touches his temple, blasts the optic beams. Um, Jean Grey, Marvel Girl, touches her temple, hits you with telekinetic force, can read your mind. She's telepath, telekinetic. Iceman, Bobby Drake, extends his arms, becomes a snowball or an ice cube, icicle man, and, and can freeze you. Very powerful. Very underrated how powerful Bobby Drake was and would become. Hank McCoy, the beast. He moved like a beast and, and in the... One of the most infamous um, uh, X-Men issues, issue number 138, when they are um, commemorating the death of Jean Grey at her at her funeral, and he is remembering the history of the X-Men. Uh, he is he being Scott Summers, Cyclops is standing there and is uh, reminiscing about Hank McCoy and says he moved like a beast and then one day he looked like a beast. Hank McCoy. Sidebar is one of the first secondary mutations that we saw in the X-Men universe. And, and someday we'll get further into that because that was not a Garth Ennis concept. He he tried to co-opt the secondary mutation. But in fact, Hank McCoy, when he transformed to the blue furry version of him himself in the 70s, was the, the product of the first kind of really legit big scale secondary mutation. But up until then, he had big hands, big feet, could bounce off walls and moved like a quote-unquote beast. But again... Um, no, nothing, you know, in, in his, in his case, he was the most action oriented of the team. Then we end with Warren Worthington, the third mega super rich and had angel wings and could fly around and flap the shit out of those wings. He would flap the shit out of them. He would flap the shit out of you. Don't look, the angel is coming. If you were lucky, maybe he would drop a rock on your head, but he could fly. Everybody else was tump- touch, touching their temples or casting their arms. The uh, concept didn't take, and it needed to be 
rebooted because the book went into a dedicated set of reprints when the Neil Adams experiment did not pay off. Uh, countless interviews, whether it was with Roy Thomas, who wrote those issues and hired Neil to draw them, or with Len Wein, who uh, later launched Giant Size X-Men, or Stan Lee, who was the you know publisher emer emeritus, uh, he, he they would all tell you that when the Neil Adams stories failed to connect, when the best artwork ever drawn in a Marvel comic book, and that is certainly what those issues represent, the Savage Land, Sauron, Kazar, the Sentinels, when that stuff failed to take flight, uh, they turned the lights off. They went, it, it, this couldn't get people to buy this book. The best art by the best artist, the best illustrator, flexing his super muscles. If you, if you want to look at those issues with the X-Men in the Savage Land, with the X-Men battling um, the Sentinels, with the X-Men and, 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 and Havoc and Polaris and Magneto. They are spectacular. They are beautiful. They are gorgeous. The best-looking people, the best-looking figures, the environments, the rendering, state-of-the-art, state-of-the-art to this day. I have an oversized hardcover I purchased of that run, and it's gone on to be, be, be this legendary run, but at the time, it did not move the needle and, and as a result, they turn the lights off and they turn it into a reprint book. And, and of course, then there is the first secret history. But today we're going behind the secret history. But to do that, we have to tell you the secret history. It's a guy named Al Lando, kind of like Martin Lando. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm L-A-N-D-E-A-U. Al Lando. And he had deemed that um, he had inherited a wing of Marvel in this uh, 70s reshuffling, Al Lando was an executive appointed by Cadence Industries. Cadence was investing in Marvel, and uh, he was um, overseeing kind of the expansion of, of Marvel. Um, and, and with his branch of Cadence that he was running when they, you know, invested in Marvel, he was charged with selling Marvel Comics to an overseas audience, expanding them, taking them abroad. Okay, so that means Canada, Scotland, England, you know, Japan, uh, China, Africa, okay? So, so, and if I didn't say Canada, Canada. So, uh, he goes to Roy Thomas and they discuss if there is an international team that they could assemble, that they could then sell that international Marvel superhero team which, of course, you know, you got Fantastic Four, which is the entire kind of Richard's family plus best friend, uh, Richard Storm family. The Avengers, which certainly had some international aspects to it, but this was a dedicated idea that each member of the team would have an international flair, okay? Again, this is, um, to some people, this is unknown. I went on in 2014, I checked my logs today, on a Facebook group that I was a part of, and when I introduced this, thinking that, like, this is common knowledge. This is what I had known my whole life about why giant size X-Men number one existed in the first place. I mean, you had a Russian, you had a Scotsman in Banshee, you had a Russian in Colossus, you had a German in Nightcrawl, you had an African in Storm, you had a Canadian in Wolverine, you had a Japanese member in Sunfire, uh, you had an American Indian in Thunderbird. I mean, they covered a lot of bases with that team. I had introduced that that was a result of the marketing department of this gentleman named Al Lando putting down the uh, idea to Roy Thomas that we should do this. Roy Thomas uh, hired, with Stanley's consent, a writer named Michael Friedrich. Mike Friedrich had been writing comic books, short stories, long stories, um, um, not maybe the best known writer of that era, but he was a working writer. They were going to team him with Dave Cockrum, and Dave Cockrum, David Cockrum, becomes extremely important to this secret history that I'm going to tell you about because this is big time. This is big time secret behind the layer because without Dave Cockrum, none of this happens. Without Dave Cockrum, this does not come to fruition. So, so he is a key piece, but he is assigned to develop and launch this new book. Um, Landau's, again, primary directive was that Marvel devise a superhero team whose members hailed from all the various countries where the company wanted to increase its sales. If this comic would only break even in the United States, he said. And this is from a hardcover, bronze age of comic books, a coffee table book I purchased several years ago. So after I am telling this in 2014, and here's the thing I need to go back to that 2014 story. Uh, a guy who was working at Marvel at the time said, you know, Rob, that's not true. That, that, that story, I've never heard that before. That can't be true. 
he eventually came back within a matter of days and said, I, I, I vetted that story and, and you're right. And, and I'm like, there are people in Marvel who don't know this story. It, as of 2014, there were people who were on staff who were like, I was not aware of this myself. If the, if the comic book with the international cast could only break even in America, um, they would turn a profit selling it overseas to all these different regions. So uh, they went forward with this concept, not knowing on any level what they were about to unleash. Giant Size X-Men number one came about at a time when Marvel was doing a lot of giant size comics. They had been doing annuals, but they introduced this giant size label, which is essentially an annual, but not because the annuals already had a certain numbering pattern. So let's say Spider-Man Annual 6 came out in the summer of 74. I don't know that that's the right year. It's likely not. I'm just giving you an example. Annual 7 came out in 75. Annual 8 came out in 76. Okay, we keep it rolling. The giant-sized got their own numbering. Giant-sized X-Men number 1 was its own thing. There were giant-sized Thors. There were giant-sized Master of Kung Fu. There were giant-sized Avengers, okay? And, and, and maybe at some point they retroactively blended them in with the annual numbers, but at the one time they were existing outside of the understanding of the annuals. Giant size X-Men number one tells the story of the original temple touchers and arm casters had been captured on an island called Krakatoa. And then that is when Xavier grabs a few of the existing international characters. Sunfire had already previously appeared in the X-Men. Banshee had already, um, Irish Banshee had already appeared in the X-Men as a bad guy, as a foil. Sunfire also as someone who was thwarting them. Thwarting them. Um, and then Wolverine had made his mark in two issues of the Hulk as a Canadian agent that when Hulk went into their territory, he was dispatched to drive out the Hulk. And that is where Wolverine made his mark. But you don't get this international cast without Storm, without Nightcrawler, without, uh, w w without Thunderbird, okay, uh, and, and without Colossus. I mean, these are key pieces. You're Russian, you're African, you're German, you're American Indian. Th these are big pieces that were necessary to expand this awareness that would fit this, um, this model. But none of it works, like I said, without mighty Dave Cockrum. So let's do a little homework on Dave Cockrum. Dave Cockrum had um, made his big name for himself after being an assistant and doing some daily strips with uh, various other artists and and, and 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 kind of working his way into in, into into the uh, into the comics industry, Dave was an assistant to a, a gentleman named named Murphy Anderson, who was an inker and penciler at DC Comics, and uh, he was got out of the military. Dave Cockrum did, and and was always drawing and creating characters in the military, as per all of the different interviews that he gave, and he broke in as an assistant to Murphy Anderson, and uh, he, uh, he, he, he was waiting for his, 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 book, his big break, and he got that big break when they um, allowed him to do Legion of Superheroes, and the editor uh, got Murphy Anderson to ink early issues of Dave Cockrum so that the quality, you know, Murphy was a long-standing, Murphy's, Murphy Anderson's biggest awareness to me as a kid was he was inking, he inked a ton of Kurt Swan Superman stories and Legion stories. So, so Dave got a, got a job penciling and, and, uh, he was a background inker prior to that. He was working for an artist who we mentioned on this podcast before, a, a Filipino amazing illustrator finisher named Tony Dezeninga. And, uh, he was working on House of Mystery and other, um, background inking assignments for Tony. And, uh, and, and, and again, he was doing work um, for Murphy Anderson, and, and, he, and he did background work inking Murphy's Kurt Swan Supermans. And again, these are from Dave's own words, given this interview that I'm citing. Um, he, he worked with Mar Murphy Anderson side by side at a studio in, in Manhattan and, and, and absorbed as much as he possibly could, um, penciling, inking. It was when he did the Legion of Superheroes that he, uh, that he got his big break. Um, he eventually was able to pencil and ink his own work. I came to know him at this point. His work was very pretty. His people are very pretty. His women are very pretty. His men were very handsome and chiseled. His line work was was very tight, concise, very clean. Um, Dave 
uh, seemed to have kind of a a Neil Adams aesthetic. Neil had definitely had a, had his had made his mark, and I could see in certain angles when Dave portrayed a character such as Superboy or Colossal Boy or or Element Lad or Lightning Lad in, in the Legion of Superheroes, which is again someday we'll do a dedicated Legion. Um, uh, uh, episode because I, I've, I've referenced it was such an important book for so long, but has since been regulated to this kind of book that DC does not know how to fix, reboot, you know, make important again. It was as as popular at, in its heyday as the Titans and the X-Men, but Dave's work on the Legion was, he became a fan favorite. People could not get enough of him. Once he was unleashed and penciling and inking his own stories on Le- of the Legion, um, people were flipping out and, and, uh, and, and, and they could not get enough of him. And, and Dave's work again, very pretty, multiple issues of Legion became a, uh, a big kind of fan favorite. And there was an event in the Legion of Superheroes, an event that happened where two of its longstanding characters who had a romance, one was named Bouncing Boy. Bouncing Boy was very fat. He was drawn very rotund. And part of that um, and he came from a, a planet and a race of, that reflected him, but he could bounce off things. He had fallen in love with a, a character named du- Duo Damsel, and I love Duo Damsel. She turned into a twin. She she could split herself and double herself, hence Duo Damsel. So you got to understand that uh, that 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 this this was a key issue. This was a key um, sequence, and Dave drew. The hell out of it, and 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 Duo Damsel and Bouncing Boy get married. They're getting married, and there's a double page spread of their nuptials, and all of the Legion of Superheroes are in, att- are in attendance. And I got this via one of DC's giant Treasury Edition, the big 11 by 17 kind of magazine size comic books that both Marvel and DC had engaged in the publishing, and this double page spread of Duo Damsel marrying um, Bouncing Boy, and and I just thought. This is beautiful. This, this. I mean, again, really. Look, hand, the more handsome and attractive the characters, generally, the better the artist did in comics. It made you a fan favorite. Faces were very important. The prettier the face on the girl or the boy, um, generally, the more successful the artist was. Generally, more successful the comic book was. Dave drew beautifully. If if you only ever saw Giant Size X Men number one, or it might, for my money, his his. His other great equal to Giants as X-Men number one issue of X-Men was X-Men 100, where the old team battles the new team. And it's just gorgeous. The pages are gorgeous. This original art of Dave Cockrum now, whether it's Legion or X-Men, is going for ridiculous sums. A a splash page from Giant Size X-Men went for like $100,000 recently. I mean, these, his covers are in the two to three to 400,000 range because that period... It, the work was so impactful, but the art is so beautiful. The covers, I mean, whether it's issue 101 with Phoenix rising from the water and the X-Men are, are drowning and, and or 103, 102, um, the, the battles with uh, Colossus and, and, and Juggernaut, Black Tom Cassidy, 104 with Magneto. I mean, these are, he is a brilliant, gorgeous artist. He was on the rise, which is why this is so shocking because he says in this interview, the reason he left DC Comics, and again, if he doesn't leave DC Comics, Giant Size X-Men number one does not happen, okay? There's no other artist that was waiting in the wings um, because Dave, when he leaves, he goes and Marvel mainly by his own assertion, and I, I watched him, Inc. John Buscema, Inc. George Tuska, Inc. Bob Brown, they wanted him to basically be a finisher. His line was so pretty that, and it's that finish line that matters that when he got there, they, they made him an inker dedicated anchor at Marvel on these Avengers titles while they waited for something for him to pencil, something for him to open up. There was quite, there just weren't enough slots at the time for all the pencilers in the business, but he had a beautiful lush line with a brush and a pen. And so they said, Dave, you know, ink these guys, whether it was the, 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 the stalwart legends like John Buscema to up and comers like Bob Brown to, um, you know, to George Tuska, another kind of journeyman guy, great solid storyteller, but Dave would pretty them up. Well, the reason he leaves DC, he says it right here in this interview, in his own words. I didn't start working for Marvel full-time until I had my little go-around with Carmen Infantino. Carmen Infantino was the editor-in-chief of DC at this time. 
he would go. He, he came to prominence as a penciler, mainly on the Flash, uh, the, the Silver Age Flash adventures. He then became the editor in chief um, of DC Comics and 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 presided over the huge Spider-Man legendary historical Spider-Man Superman combination book. And and if he doesn't work with Marvel at that time, that book never happens. But Carmen. Um, had a kind of a, a reputation of rubbing a lot of people the wrong way, uh, kind of a grumpy, uh, uh, you know, um, confrontational dude. And you'll see it here. He said, this wouldn't have happened unless I had my little go around with Carmen and Fertino. DC wasn't returning artwork to anyone at that point. Marvel also had a longstanding policy. That's why Jack Kirby didn't get hundreds of issues of his artwork back. And that it got to the point where I was handed by Mike Zeck of Punisher Secret Wars Captain America fame and Jerry Ordway of Infinity Inc. All-Star Squadron Superman fame. They both opened their briefcase and in 1985 gave me a shirt, hot pink shirt. I still have it. It's got a picture of Jack Kirby on it. It says, give Jack on the top his artwork back on the bottom. Give Jack his artwork back. I, I wore it. I, I was so thrilled I wasn't in the business. I wouldn't be in the business for another two years. I was That was my senior year out of high school. I was so thrilled because so much of the artwork had been hoarded, kept, or destroyed by the companies, but they weren't sharing it with the artists. So he details here, DC was not returning artists, the art to anyone at this point, and Marvel had just started to. So this is 1973. All the Jack stuff that they hadn't returned to him is, is a decade's worth of Jack stuff, 1962 to, to 1973, okay? So this goes deep and runs long. And when you created as much artwork as Jack did, that's why the give Jack the artwork back was so resonant. But here, you know, people on the street are talking. Marvel's giving your artwork back. You can you can have it back and you can sell it. And a lot of these guys, that is the dedicated way you would double your income. Get paid once drawing it, get paid twice selling it to a collector, to a fan, okay? When I broke in, that was the practice. Todd, Jim Lee, Eric Larson, myself, we would all talk about the thrill of drawing it and then having an audience to resell it to. And in essence, you were being paid twice, okay? So um, Dave put a special request in that he would be given back that double-page spread of Duo Damsel marrying Bouncing Boy and all of the Legionnaires looking on. He goes, please, I would like this. Could you set this aside? His um, his his editor... Uh, um, said his, his editor's name was Murray Boltonoff. Say that five times fast. Murray Boltonoff, B-O-L-T-I-N-O-F-F. Murray Boltonoff said, you know what? I, I don't see why we can't give this to you, Dave. I'm, I'm going to set it aside. <clears throat> he says that uh, Carmen Infantino came in the next morning and saw the art set aside in Murray Boltonoff's office. He picked it up and addressed Murray saying, what's this? Why is this? Why is this here? And uh, Murray said, "Dave asked if we could set that aside for him, and, and I don't see why we can't just give them this. It's such a beautiful spread. Let's just give it to him." Carmen Infantino says, "You can't give this back to him. We don't do that at DC." Dave Cockrum says, "It was the only artwork I had ever asked for," and I said, "Are you guys seriously not going to bend the rules? You guys can't bend the rules for me. This is all I'm asking for." Carmen Infantino said, nope, we cannot do that for you. Dave Cockrum said, okay. And in his own words, see ya, see ya. He walked out. He said, I'm out. They had just given him a, a Captain Marvel Jr. comic book, the, the, the secondary, the literally Captain Marvel Jr. Not Captain Marvel of Shazam, but the younger blue and yellow costumed. And Dave says prior in the interview, that was like his dream assignment. But he said, I'm not doing this. You guys have uh, violated this one request. All I asked for was these, these, this two-page spread that I did that, that literally fans like Rob Liefeld, young Robbie Liefeld was, was flipping out at the sight of this thing. It was so beautiful. But they said, no, Carmen Infantino dug in. You cannot have that. That's not what we do here. So he left and went to work at Marvel Comic in 1974. Giant Size X-Men comes out summer of 1975. He said that Marvel mainly put him to work as an inker. They he because he could um, his inking tendencies mirrored that in his own words. He was imitating the ink lines of Neil Adams and Dick Giordano, and they just wanted me to ink as much as I could. They really didn't have anything for me to pencil, but he kept you know waiting for the right gig. So then at that time, uh, Roy Thomas again, as we've talked, 
is contacted by Al Lando, who's like, I want to do this international book. So now Roy brings up to um to to Dave, they want to do a kind of a a X-Men book that the approach was like, you know, um black ops mutants, okay? Like, so not the original team, but this international team of of mutant heroes that went out on missions. And uh, Roy, according to Dave, told him this at this fancy restaurant. And uh, Roy wanted an international team to operate out of a secret base. And Dave says here in this interview, again, part of the rationale, as, as Dave was told, was that Marvel wanted to open up to more foreign markets and would have more foreign heroes as a result of repopulating the X-Men book with these new characters. But there were no characters. So what they did is they picked a number of nationalities to represent. And uh, and Dave says, I'm not sure we ever fit the mission directive, but that was what got us going, was picking foreign markets, picking foreign characters, and then fulfilling the book with those characters. So here's the deal. Here's the secret, secret history. So now we've set the table. Dave and everyone, Roy Thomas, Len Wein, they all um, shared with the fact that, uh, that, that Dave had the most abundant sketchbook of characters that he carried around with. And now I'm going to go to my giant size X-Men 40th anniversary book that uh, that Marvel put out several years back. And in the back, there's an excerpt from Len Wein. Again, because I like to bring the receipts. I like to just hit it right on the nail with you guys. There's an excerpt from one of these magazines. And here's Len Wein. Len Wein, who passed away several years ago, um, uh, 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 you know, one of the co-creators of Wolverine and so many of these X-Men characters, uh, he said that uh, um, that when Dave Cockrum and, the, and and himself, Len Wein, were deciding on, because Mike Friedrich drops out and then Len Wein steps in. Um, Dave always, this is Len's, Len's own, he wrote this himself, this is his own words, Len Wein, Dave Cockrum always carried a thick binder with him, filled with costume designs and names of literally dozens of characters, as we decided on the proper mix of characters and personalities that would create the greatest energy within the group. Dave and I would go through his binder and pick out likely visuals, simplifying several elements of a blue skin character with a black, white, red costume, and that gave us Nightcrawler. Almost nothing had to be altered to give us Thunderbird except for the helmet. The character of Colossus was also relatively simple. It was our final member who was the biggest problem. And he says, Dave had a great visual for a female character called the Black Cat. Long before Spider-Man would have Black Cat debut in the Spider-Man comic book, which was about 1978. So this is three to four years prior to that. We also had a male weather wizard called Tempest, whose costume left a lot to be desired. Roy Thomas, again, the editor-in-chief at the time and kind of the manager of this project, suggests we give the weather powers to the female. And with a few artful costume alterations, Storm was born. And so here's the deal. I have got these sketches in front of me of the original um, characters that Dave had in his binder. And here's the deal. They were not intended for the X-Men. They were intended for a Legion spinoff book that he had been talking to DC prior to him leaving because they wouldn't give him the original artwork back. This is what it cost them. And this is, if you were to Google Dave Cockrum's The Outsiders, you will get a number of different results. And in each one of these, it will show you Dave's illustrations for these characters called The Outsiders. And right on there, and this is a 1973, 1974 illustration, Nightcrawler, as you know him right now, as he exists right now with that same costume and that same tail and a woman who is very storm looking are on the outsiders it was a uh, another branch that they would be kind of a group that the legion encountered and that would be kind of a spin-off much in the same way the new mutants was a spin-off of the legion this was in its earliest inception a concept that he wanted to do where he would spin off the legion and have his own book where he could have his own characters because this is where dave's you know, intentions lied and where his, where, where his passion was. So among these outsiders was Black Cat, was Nightcrawler, and he is absolutely called Nightcrawler, okay? Um, and, and, and Dave says in this interview that Nightcrawler, okay, again, we're in the secret origin phase. So let me, let me wrap up Storm first. When you look at Black Cat, 
His black cat is absolutely Aurora, the storm that you and I have come to know and love. And he has multiple turnarounds of her, her face, a front shot, um, um, uh, profile shots, her exact costume with that with that um, belly ring connecting the upper kind of bathing suit portion with the lower. She, she has the hip boots. Um, the only thing slightly altering is the style of hair, but this is absolutely to the naked eye you would go, that storm, that's Aurora. Her name was Black Cat. Her, her, her given name was Tabitha, nicknamed Tabby, and she would transform into a panther or a house kitten. And Dave said he loved the idea of this um, kindly, you know, house kitten that you didn't know was this voluptuous um, kind of femme fatale woman who who could, um, you know, uh, be be unleashed as this very um, very deadly panther. Okay, so I mean. Uh, th this is the original concept when Len Wein says they sat down and Dave had this other character who was a man who had an all turquoise character and a bit of a cape and his name was Tempest, okay? And uh, they decided, well, why don't we kind of combine these two elements and, and, and let's go from there. And, and, and again, Dave admits that he made concessions in regards to altering Black Cat and instead of calling her Tempest, they uh, they settled on the name Storm, and and so these were all again part of his concepts as he was preparing to give them to DC and have a spinoff book called The Outsiders. So The Outsiders obviously doesn't come to be because Carmen Infantino won't give Dave Cockrum his artwork back. He leaves the company complete, complete, and and crosses over to Marvel, where now he's going to share these characters with them. And he says, the original Storm was a female, these are Dave's own words, who, who was to be called the Black Cat. She literally looked like Storm, had Storm's costume, with a slight cat-like haircut. Her powers that was that she could turn into a humanoid cat, or a panther, or a, or a house cat. And uh, after the hiatus of us trying to get these characters together, because there was a period of time, Marvel had launched all these other cat characters, Tigra, the cat, Panther. So I figured, let's overhaul overhaul this character. We changed the color of her hair from brown to white, and she became Storm, because they combined her with Tempest. Now here's, here's the other secret, secret origin. Nightcrawler. Well, he was part of this Legion of Superheroes spinoff, okay? Well, at... at I'm going to tell you what he says in this interview, then I'm going to read you the notes, the actual notes off the original Nightcrawler um, design. These are the pages I'm flipping right here off of the original Nightcrawler design. Here, I, Actually, I'll, I'll do that first because it's like, wow, he, he had several different concepts and as a creator, I understand. You write down several different options, several different um, versions that you would like to approach with each character and, and, and as you're doing it, it kind of rounds into form and you figure out, okay, maybe maybe this is what I'm going to do. Maybe maybe this is what I'm going to, um, how I'm going to approach it. But he originally outlines that, that, that Nightcrawler is an alien that when sorcerers and magicians in the Dark Ages would summon demons to scare people, they were actually opening an alien portal and aliens along the line of Nightcrawler would would come through, and uh, and and so that was his original concept. He was he was not meant to be an X Men. He was meant to be an alien, and and the uh, and 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 yet people thought he was in fact a demon. Well, then later on in another interview, so so that's that's those are the notes that he has next to his his Nightcrawler drawing, and. Um, and that, and that drawing is is in the um, it's not in this 40th anniversary. It's in the giant IDW art edition with that note about sorcerers and mages in the dark ages would summon forth portals, and the demons that emerged were not in fact demons, but were aliens from another dimension. So that was a cool twist. But ultimately, obviously, we abandon that and 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 we go to the mutant option, the mutant um, uh, 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 selection instead. But the uh, the, the very interesting aspect in regards to um, to, to Nightcrawler, uh, <clears throat> who was very swashbuckler 
in 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 his in his design, he says that um, Nightcrawler was then uh, designed to be a demon from hell. So now he's changing his story. Nightcrawler, and and this is in the X Men 30th anniversary book that Wizard Magazine released. He says Nightcrawler was originally supposed to be a demon from hell who had failed miserably in his mission, and rather than go back to hell and face his punishment, he linked he hooks up with another character in the human world and teams up with that character, a Punisher-type figure called the Intruder. So he was to be like the Robin to the Intruder's Batman, and the two of them would have adventures. And that, so, so again, I promised you the secret, secret origin, and you are getting it. Nightcrawler was supposed to be a, a separate... So that is the Wizard Magazine interview. Again, if I take you to his, his, um, his interview... Um, in, 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 in Back Issue Magazine from, from Tomorrow's, he says uh, that he would design these characters when he was in Guam, in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the army, and he created this intruder, a Punisher slash Batman character with a chrome skull and a black jumpsuit. And uh, he had a demon sidekick. The original concept, these are Dave's own words, was a lot different and the Nightcrawler would actually howl at the moon, run up the sides of buildings, and do all sorts of weird shit. That is Dave Cockrum's words. He would howl at the moon, run up the sides of buildings, and do all sorts of weird shit. He really was a demon who had screwed up on a mission and rather than go back and face his punishment in hell, he hung around and and and, and did deeds of, of good with this Punisher-Batman combo called the Intruder. He was obviously considerably overhauled when I wound up putting him in the X-Men. You guys. I mean, so 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 Aurora was a feline woman who, who would turn into a cat. Her name was the Black Cat. Now here's here's the other little twinkle. When Marv Wolfman decided to introduce the Black Cat into uh in, into into the Spider-Man, and I remember going into the store and seeing um um you know black cat in her in her debut cover jumping down on on top of Spider-Man it's an Al Milgram cover if, if if I remember correctly but eventually in the back of the magazines they showed that Felicia Hardy's original design that original classic black cat costume with the fur the white hair the mask the 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 white uh, tufts of fur on the wrists and and around the uh, the the uh, fur boots that is Dave Cockrum he was uh, asked by Marv Wolfman on Spider-Man to then give an official Black Cat design for the official Black Cat character that Marvel was going to do, which again was not was not the Black Cat that was going to be in the Outsiders as a DC book, a Legion companion that Dave decided to alter and turn from Tempest into Storm. Wow, is this crazy? He says that with Colossus, he knew they needed a strong guy, and so he in fact created this giant metal armored man called Colossus. And just literally said, "Here's your strong guy." He he says he handed it in to uh, he handed it in to to uh, to 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 Roy and to Len Wein and says, "Here's here's your strong guy." So you know when Thunderbird comes around, if you look at the original Thunderbird, he has a helmet. It is a cool looking helmet. It is almost it is almost Cyclops like in its design, and it has kind of a a slight Indian insignia. Um, American Indian, American Eagle insignia, um, but it is, is is kind of a cross between the Cerebro helmet that, that Charles Xavier wore. But they said he looks like a, an Air Force pilot, and he does. The helmet makes him look like a pilot, and and he's still he's in red and blue, like the Thunderbird that would go on to also be Warpath, his brother, which I featured in X Force. But this is the biggest re overhaul. He, 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 they, they said, this looks like an Air Force pilot. It doesn't look like the American mo Indian motif that we want. And so he went back and tried to blend in traditional Indian motifs onto kind of what would be a leotard and gave the headband and came up with an accept acceptable Thunderbird. But the original design for Thunderbird literally looks like he is an American pilot with kind of a juiced up suit. Now, here is the last piece of the secret history of the X-Men, and that is Vampire. V-A-M-P-Y-R-E. V-A-M-P-Y-R-E. Vampire was a female character that Dave wanted to put into the books. She had, She's like a female man-bat, um, ex except she has blonde hair, um, and, and, and her arms transform into, into giant bat wings, and she would take flight, 
and the ultimate um, decision on on Vampire was that while they liked her, they felt like that she um, crossed over and looked too much like a combination, which I see, of Nightcrawler and Wolverine. Now, Wolverine was designed, was the costume was designed by John Romita Sr., but if you remember the first Wolverine, the Hulks, has like, has whiskers on his face. The, the, the Wolverine mask is not the Wolverine mask that you've come and, and you, that you know and love now. It has whiskers, okay? And so Dave said he wanted to do some uh, retinkering of the way Wolverine looked. And also, uh, the other giant aspect of Wolverine that at the time when it was in the Hulk book, the understanding, and Chris Claremont talks of this in, in, the, in the forward, in the IDW Dave Cockrum Artist Artifact Edition, Chris Claremont talks about that there was an idea among, uh, again, Vampire looked a little too much like Nightcrawler and had a little too much of Wolverine's kind of um, feral tendencies. And so back to Wolverine, so no Vampire, she was easily um, dealt out of the deck. They had too many characters now. They were trying to whittle them down. But Wolverine, when he was first introduced to in Hulk 181, the idea was that the claws came out of a glove. And Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum were sitting around doodling, redesigning the look. Again, taking the whiskers off of the helmet. And Dave was playing with the claws. And they said, we don't want them to come out of the claws. That means that anyone could be Wolverine. We can't have just anybody be Wolverine. It has to be specific to him. So they decided at that point that the the claws, the, the gloves just had, um, they had portals for the, the, the claws to come out, but they actually came out of his wrist. And Chris Claremont is quoted in, as saying, if you like the fact that the claws emerge from the wrist on our within the body of Wolverine, Dave Cockrum is your guy. He's your guy to thank because he drew the middle claw. He did a sketch with Chris and, 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 uh, they both, both Chris Claremont and Len Wein, uh, talk about how much they miss sitting around in, in, in the park in New York city and, 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 um, coming up with different concepts and coming up with different ideas that Dave would draw in the park. And Chris talks about this time that, that he drew the middle clock emerging from the flesh, um, knuckle of, of Wolverine. So in fact, we, we were, we are, you know, living in the Wolverine, Hugh Jackman world that we see. And Chris says, you need to thank Dave Cockrum. He's the guy that, that put that all together. So Dave Cockrum and Chris Claremont were the ones that decided, hey, maybe, maybe we don't have uh, the, the powers of Wolverine be these automatic claws that come out into the glove because the glove could be worn by anybody. Let's make them part of his body, which then opens the door to the healing factor because it has to heal every time they retract. And Chris, again, goes into great detail in the IDW Dave Cockrum X-Men Artifact Edition. The final part of the X-Men, uh, the Wolverine application that Dave Cockrum is specifically responsible for is what did Wolverine look like when he took his mask off? Well, being on the Legion of Superheroes, Dave Cockrum depicted Timberwolf in the most feral way that he had ever appeared. And he, the way Timberwolf appeared is several years prior to Wolverine taking his mask off, Timberwolf looked like Logan. He looked like Wolverine. And the connecting force between those two is Dave Cockrum. He drew Timberwolf in the feral form that they began to depict him in because otherwise in his earlier um, appearances, Timberwolf looked like a guy with, with his hair parted and a handsome, he was a handsome guy. He looked like Ultra Boy. He looked like Superboy. He looked like Lightning Light. His face had no feral features. Suddenly they gave him that high widow's peak, the pointy um, tips of the hair that we have known as Logan's look um, that has been famously portrayed, obviously, in live action through Hugh Jackman. Dave Cockrum kind of transferred a little of that because he, he, according to Dave Cockrum in this interview that I didn't want to, I'm not going to reopen and, 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 um, and actually, yes, I will. It's better if I'm actually reading it than me just telling you it because, again, then you know that it is, in fact, the receipts. He believes that at some point he had talked to Roy Thomas when he was at DC about doing a character called Wolverine and that they then one day just showed up and and, and did a, and, and he saw that Marvel was doing a Wolverine. So he says he had kind of a love-hate relationship with that character. And uh, and, and, and and he, he said that his... Um, character of Fang that he introduced in his last issue in the Imperial Guard uh, is 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 a kind of a nod to the fact that he was doing Wolverine before they were doing Wolverine. And so he felt like, you know, he would, uh, that, that he would um, kind of alter 
kind of set things right by introducing what he thought was his original Wolverine design in the character of Fang. But when Wolverine took off his um, helmet, he would have him reflect the t the Timberwolf aesthetic that he had designed over on the Legion of Superheroes. So if, the, if there's one thing that you have gotten today, again, over and over, is that the Legion history that Dave Cockrum had with DC Comics is just absolutely essential in everything that came forth with the X-Men. You get at least two characters from the Outsiders that just walked from his sketchbook from a DC proposal into a Marvel proposal to become some of the most successful characters of all time in Nightcrawler and Storm. And Nightcrawler obviously became then this uh, mutant that looked like a demon that had to deal with the fact that he had this visage that scared people, but he had this teleportation power instead of being the alien from another dimension that would appear as a demon to sorcerers and wizards who were trying to scare people in the medieval ages. And then from this demon that was actually escaping his punishment in hell and teaming up with this character. I mean, this is some deep, crazy stuff, but, but, but it, it, it exists because we just, it, these, these, sometimes a talent walks out the door and walks in your door and what's in his sketchbook that was intended for someone else becomes something that you yourself get to benefit from instead. And, and, and it, and it can change the history of comic books. And, and so Dave Cockrum is responsible for the Logan that we look at, the giant steel Russian Peter, um, uh, Colossus in, in the X-Men, Storm, Aurora, uh, Nightcrawler. These are essential, essential uh, applications. Thunderbird. I mean, Dave Cockrum transplants his desires to do characters for DC Comics over a dispute over original art, lands at Marvel, gets handpicked to be the guy that is going to bring about this international cast, opens up his sketchbook, works with Len Wein, works with Roy Thomas, refines characters like Wolverine, introduces characters like Storm and Nightcrawler, who were different incarnations had they been at DC in The Outsiders. And who knows? Who knows? Legion was a hot book. Legion was a really successful book. It did not stop being a successful book after he left a another very pretty artist named Mike Grell who inked his last story. Dave's last story was inked by Mike Grell who would then go and become his successor for years on The Legion of Superheroes. Legion was a hot book. It was a hot property. Who knows what, what would have happened had they spun it off at that time. Nobody expected Giant Size X-Men number one to be the reset for the entire industry because that book goes on to become the single most influential force in the history of comics. The reactions to it, the influence to it, the people like myself that it inspired, are, you cannot discount the sheer amount of influence that that book exerted. And today you got the secret, secret history. And it's all wrapped up in Dave Cockrum, his immense talent, his incredible ability to design characters Phoenix, when Gene Gray turns into Phoenix, Chris Claremont talks about in that Artifact Edition that Dave showed up with about 10 different alterations. The sash, the hip boots, the gold, a red version, an orange version, a yellow version, a green version. They decided this is what fit her the best. Chris correctly states that Dave Cockrum is the best character designer, costume, costumer since Jack Kirby. And, and I would be hard-pressed to argue that he is simply uh, among the very best to have ever done it. And, and the designs and, and the uh, test of time that they have yielded, that Storm, the classic Storm that you think of is Dave Cockrum's. And she used to be a character called Black Cat until he made alterations. And at one point she was going to be Tempest, but she became Storm. And Colossus, he said he drew that one picture and that became Colossus. And he said, you see his muscles through the steel armor, his, in the notes, it says his hair, his face all but also become metal. Everything transforms. Dave just hit it out of the park. Nightcrawler has never changed his look. And that look is, again, if you look at that Outsiders, if you Google Dave Cockrum and the Outsiders and you go on the internet and you see the team piece, you will see Nightcrawler is standing there exactly as he would later appear in the in the pages of Giant Size X-Men number one. What a blast. I love sharing these stories with you today. You got, you you dipped your toe into the secret, secret history. Really? What, what would happen? DC gives Dave that, that Legion spread? And what happens? I'm not sure we're living in the same world. Dave Cockrum's art on Giant Size X-Men number one, which he penciled and inked himself. And he says he knew he couldn't ink the regular book, but he was damn well sure going to ink that issue. It is lush. It is beautiful. It is one of the best standalone introductions, a, 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 a failed concept with a fresh coat of paint. And that coat of paint was Dave Cockrum. And we were off to the races 
and it changed the, the course of the entire comics industry. It changed Marvel's publishing course most certainly. So thank you. The secret, secret, secret history of X-Men. And we're going to keep doing secret, secret histories of comics because we love sharing those tales. And I know you guys dig them and I love bringing them to you. And uh, this is the time when we read your very, very generous reviews. I am so thankful and grateful that you guys leave reviews for me. It is essential. Get the word out. Spread the word on Rob's observations. Thank you so much for, for doing all that you can to push this show and, and to expand it. You, would, you could not even believe our numbers are blowing up. The audience is expanding. I love that there is some stuff that I am sharing here that is just that I grew up with, stories I know that I can share with you and broaden your um, your horizon and, and, and maybe um, inform your opinion of some of these things. Thank you so much. Thank you for leaving these reviews. Thank you for the positive word that you're spreading. I read these reviews at the end of every show when we have time. And today, and, and today I am going to read from Joe T. Joe T. He said, preach it. Preach. And he says, I really enjoy your podcast. You should make subjects that I did not... You make subjects that I did not think would be interesting. Interesting. Ramita Man? Anime? Sword and Sorcery? You sold me. Most preacher's kids don't pick up preaching, but you truly evangelize comic books to folks. Well done, Rob. Thank you so much. Jim Lee once told me, he goes, you talk like a preacher, you can tell your dad was a preacher. Hey, if, if I can be the preacher of comics and I can do it in this realm and get you excited, I am so thrilled. Thank you, Joe T., um, thank you. I'm so glad that you are are digging this stuff and that I am making stuff you did not think interesting. Interesting. I cannot appreciate it enough. And thank you enough, you guys. I am all over social media. Please seek me out. Um, when you're not writing a review, when you're not recommending the show, I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld. Full name, blue check. It. That's really me. I love talking to you guys. I love sharing stories. I love sharing interactions. Please reach out to me on, on Twitter. On Instagram, I am Rob Liefeld with a blue check. Um, hang out with me there. I read my comments. I love interacting with you guys. Stories, all the different shares. We're, we're running some great contests lately. You should definitely check me out on Instagram at Rob Liefeld with the blue check mark. I'm all over Facebook. I am all over social media. Once again, I love talking to you, sharing with you, growing with you. Um, thank you so much for listening to me each and every episode. We will be back again soon. X-Force 30th anniversary is right around the corner. You better believe I am going to drop by with some crazy stories. In the meantime, you guys know the drill. You are going to stay safe. You are going to take care of yourselves. And we are going to talk again real soon. 